0: Hi I'm Jen and I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia pod. We treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favorite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungay and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today and pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging.
1: I'd also like to acknowledge Manafenawa of Te Awa Kairangi Kitai where I'm recording today. Hello. Happy Mother's Day. We're recording on a Sunday. Thank you for accommodating me and my cold. That's okay. I also have a
0: cold because everybody is sick right now in the universe, I think. Lame. I'm going to sound congested the whole time. I blew my nose so hard at soccer practice this morning that I almost fell over because I was
1: so dizzy. I was
0: like, why is this happening (laughs) to me?
1: I've got my lemon ginger tea, so that'll heal me, right?
0: I love this. It should heal you. I've got hydrolite and white jasmine and... Oh, here it comes, here it comes!
1: Disembodied hand!
0: The disembodied <gasps> hand! Yay!
1: We stand. Thank you,
0: disembodied hand. <laughs> Just so she's relieved that you've come back from Walkabout.
1: Yay. <laughs> we love it.
0: <laughs> Thank you. What? It's meant for sitting. Oh, Simon's making fun of me because I'm wearing my heating pad in the chair. It has a Velcro Aww. strip. Keeps me warm.
1: It's great. Like you can just carry it around, like I'm all forever tucking my wheat bag like into my pants, you know, like into the waistband. Yeah.
0: I mean, this one is definitely it has a cable, but it's a long one and I can sit with it like it's meant to be slept in. So you can like put it on you when you sleep. And then mm. if you roll over, it's still like on that part of your body. And there's this really I will put a link in the show notes because I feel like this is the best heating pad in the world. And you can roll it up and put it around your neck.
1: Ooh! And I thought
0: of you because I know that you have your jaw thing and you need yes, to have your, heat, your, your heating wheat pad on your jaw. And I was like, this is the heat pad for Jen. It's the multifunctional one
1: that sounds amazing so, yeah
0: it is amazing I will have to see if I can get you one for your birthday because I feel like that's one of the best things that a person could have is I was like look we're in our 30s now we need heat we need a heating
1: pad it's just what I do sometimes is put a scarf around my head with my heat back in it and then I look mm-hmm. like a ye oldie prospector with a salt tooth you know used <laughs> to do a bandage and like cartoons <laughs>
0: Yeah, I love yeah. that. I knew exactly what you meant when you said, ye olde prospector with a sword." tooth. <laughs> oh.
1: Well, what sparked joy for you this week?
0: Well, I think... The most joyful thing was that my husband came back from his walkabout. (laughs) He didn't actually go and walkabout. Mm -hmm. I just think it's really funny because he went and did the Larapinta track, which is a very famous Australian bushwalking track, apparently. And his mom and dad really wanted to do like a family holiday with their like them and their two kids. And they hadn't done anything together, the four of them, since the year 2000 when they were in Turkey together. So it was a really big deal for both of the parents as well as both boys. And I mean, boys. Both of their sons were men <laughs> in their 30s. Um, so they went and did the Larapenta track and they did the glamping option. So like they had guides that took them there. And mm. I just uh, he had ser- like phone service for parts of it. So I got a lot of pictures and batches and like he had a little satellite communication. So I knew he was safe at all, all times because, you know, we all have anxiety. But it was just really nice to have him home. Like I just mm. really missed having him around. So he's home. He had a great time. He only has a few blisters. And then the day after he got back, we got to have our makeup anniversary day because our actual anniversary was the day that our cat had to have emergency surgery. <laughs> so we went out for brunch and then we went and bought some camellias for our garden. And it was just a really nice day. And the cat is out of bathroom quarantine. She's Ooh. better too. We love it. It's very good. Yes. Um, how about you? What sparked joy for you this week?
1: I had a very intense week, and so things were just a lot all of the time. But this morning, I just had a really chill morning. I didn't set an alarm. I made yes. a coffee. I sat in the sun, like big sun coming in. We Because, you know, we haven't been in this house for winter previously, so oh, you don't yeah. never quite know how the sun's going to go, right? Mm. But we get almost all day sun on the back of the house. All, mm. all day. Just all day streaming into the back, and it's so lovely. So I sat in the sun patch this morning and I read my book and I drank my coffee and the cat came and purred next to me and it was just
0: glorious. That is glorious. Is the Does the back of your house face north?
1: No idea. <laughs> Unclear. I don't know.
0: Because the best side for our sun exposure is like the kitchen laundry side which has the living room has no windows on that side, the kitchen has a tiny window, the laundry has a tiny window. We don't get any of the winter sun through that side of the house, it's just so silly. Because our our front door is east and our back door, like our back window, is west. So the good side, the sunny side, always gets nothing. It just hits the side of the house and does nothing.
1: I'm trying to figure it out. I think it might be north because the sun rises over there. So that would be east. So that would Never be north.
0: Eat soggy wheat bix. Mm. That's
1: how I remember, right? Yeah, I mean, I just remember it, but yes. <laughs> Well, okay. This week we're reading chapters 22 to 27 through the theme of suffering. Heavy. do you have a story for us?
0: Oh, I do. Um. So I, obviously, being a human and having a human body, uh, I think suffering is just part of the human condition, which is some kind of nonsense, but there it is. So I wanted to, like, look up what suffering was and, like, look at it in a way that wasn't just... My own personal suffering but then i thought i do need to tell a bit of a story so i did a bit of both so um mm-hmm. the root of suffering you know it, it sort of means to allow to occur or to be made to undergo or like to bear something to endure something or to permit something or to allow something and then i came across this phrase which really stuck with me which was the patient enduring of pain loss or inconvenience and i thought that's what suffering is like it's mm. it's a subjective concept for sure they're and and if you think about it, like we have pain, but if you say, oh, I've got pain, it seems like really sharp and present and like semantically short. Right. But mm-hmm. suffering implies length, duration of time. And also it seems to suggest like patience. Right. If you say, oh, I've got a headache, then it's like, oh, it's over as soon as the Panadol kicks in. But if you say you suffer from headaches, then you're like a grim soldier of the pain wars trudging through your latest tour of duty. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. more
0: implied Length and like fortitude required because we as a society have some definite parameters to what suffering can be. I would say being in pain, going hungry, being unwell, being uncared for, those are all like definite things that we can agree on as people are causes of suffering. But suffering isn't just pain or going without, it's actually enduring something. And by nature, you're not suffering if the thing you're enduring is actually enjoyable. So while I joke that I suffer on my runs, and they are sometimes very hard, I don't actually suffer from them because I love them. The sore muscles afterward, that's definitely suffering, though, especially when it drags on for days. And right now, as we discussed, I'm currently suffering from a head cold, and it has been five long, awful days of suffering where I cannot Mm. breathe properly and I don't have enough energy to, like, do anything or exist in the world. Um, Mm. And that feels like I can claim that I am suffering over that. I also wanted to talk a little bit about how socially suffering is this, like, romantic concept. We sort of imagine, like, Juliet suffering and Romeo suffering. And then, you know, like, it's it's something you see, like, oh, she suffered and pined and her heart broke and she wasted away. But in like, reality, suffering is really boring. It is super boring <laughs> to suffer. I was thinking about the worst of my suffering. And I think that probably having anxiety was one of the worst periods of my life where I, I just was not able to do stuff so i would be stuck at home staying home because my anxiety was too overwhelming to let me go to an event that i'd been looking forward to that's just boring there's nothing romantic about that um being tired and sore and scared all of the time is just a drag so i think suffering Mm. is also a drag like we might think it's romantic but it is a drag um and now onto the personal component um i have been present in some palliative care situations so namely my grandfather who died when i was 19. the day before he died he was an incredible amount of discomfort he was beside himself with pain and when he slipped into a coma it was almost a relief there was no way of really knowing if it was a relief from his suffering but we lied and told ourselves that he wasn't hurting anymore maybe because we were attempting to mitigate our own suffering Mm. after his death that same morning My younger sister and I took a walk down past the school. It was the same route I'd walked a million times as a child. I knew every house and tree and spray-painted curbside number by heart. The hills around us were a nice cool green capped with the autumn dulled brown of dead grass. But just over the biggest hill, the sun had broken through the fog and rain and mist, and there was a perfect patch of blue sky and a piece of a rainbow. It was so cold that our breath clouded in front of us, but we stood there for some time looking at that rainbow, feeling our feelings, just two sisters suspended momentarily from suffering. I think that when we have suffering, we can only really make meaning of it by acknowledging that it exists, but that it exists around the other moments in our lives and that it is not the only thing in our lives. There's everything else around it too.
1: Yeah that's interesting because that was the first thing i thought of as well when you were talking through that is this idea that people talk about death often and they'll say well at least he's not suffering anymore at least they didn't suffer you know it was quick mm. they didn't suffer but if it's something like cancer or something that requires a lot of treatment there's this thing we tell ourselves at the end that the suffering is ended but it is almost a transfer because the suffering isn't over for those who are left behind, right? This is a grief is an ongoing suffering. And yeah. we've spoken about it before, how you, the grief never really goes away. The suffering really never ends. The missing doesn't stop. You just grow around it. Your life continues yeah. around it. It just becomes part of who you are. And I think you're yeah. right. It is just part of the human condition because we feel so much. We're always going to suffer. It's impossible not to. Yeah.
0: And there's that great bit in The Fault in Our Stars, which, you know, Hazel and Gus are arguing about the nature of suffering. And, you know, she's saying, I can't remember which one of them takes which position, but like the concept of chocolate and broccoli, like chocolate doesn't taste any better because broccoli exists. Like joy isn't any better because suffering exists. They're not tied to each other in that way. But I think our brains really want to trick us into believing that suffering is the most biggest thing and I think that's part of why I hold on to that walk with my sister so much I can't remember anything else about that day but I really remember that walk just the two of us it was cold and they had there was this rainbow Mm. I think it was a gift that I was given that to remember because normally our brains are like oh hang on to the hurty bits because that we have to prevent that from happening again (laughs) you know we're predisposed to pay attention to suffering because it teaches us to avoid
1: more It's also mutes the joy, right? I'm just thinking of depression, which is something I have Mm. suffered, haha, from my basically since I was 13, 14. Yeah. And the way that when you are severely depressed, you forget what it's like to not feel that. You forget what it's like to Mm. feel joy. The world is just kind of like in black and white, right? You forget color, you forget happiness because all you have is this weight.
0: It is hard to get that joy back, but it exists. I definitely feel like mental illness is one of the biggest sufferings that we we have to deal with and just acknowledging that it is a real physiological thing that people go through.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But there's also lighter ways that we talk about suffering, right? Like like you were saying, suffering through a run or <laughs> suffering through a meeting that I don't want to be in, or things like that. <laughs> there are it's <there's> a scale. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I I love to use it hyperbolically. Like I love to be like, oh how I suffer when my kids don't put their shoes yeah. in their shoebox, yeah. and I have to do it. Like <laughs> I am the queen of being melodramatic, but I'm very tongue in cheek about it. Like I wouldn't <laughs> want to, you know, denigrate anyone's actual suffering, but also I love to be as campy and hammy as possible whenever the the occasion arises.
1: <laughs> it reminds me of the nurse in Romeo and Juliet. How she's like, oh how I suffer.
0: <laughs> yes exactly
1: i am me at the cat (laughs) always (laughs) okay well shall i do our chapter summaries and then we can get into the suffering of the section
0: yes please
1: blue makes another attempt to get into jesse ditley's cave by cleaning up his yard noah goes very dark and scary and she has to pull the plug again but it doesn't work luckily jesse ditley is pretty good with a curse adjacent events and stops noah with a mirror blue stays to have dinner learns more about jesse's family curse but ends up worrying Calla and gansey at 300 Foxway, Blue mentions Jesse Ditley is on the church watch list. Adam immediately divines that one of them is on it and forces Blue to admit who it is. Later, Gansey returns to fetch Blue away for a nighttime drive and it's magical until Henry Cheng sideswipes it and halfway ruins it. The Gangzi all reconvene at the Ditley Cave and go inside and there they find a tomb. But it isn't Glendower, it's a woman. Not asleep, not dead, but awake. Ba-ba.
0: I love this section so much. It feels like they are all suffering so much, especially at the end when they're going into the cave and they're, like, really uncertain. It does feel like a trial of endurance, right?
1: Yeah, it does. And that's interesting because it is a quest, right? And what are quests if not trials?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is why people do marathons, right? Because we're not pilgrims anymore.
1: Yeah, ultra marathons, Ridiculous (laughs) behaviour. I will just say, for a lull, that Piper's suffering... To be in this place she doesn't want to be in. It's quite <laughs> funny. And like so she she has a suffering, right? Like she suffers through it because she doesn't want to be here. Mm. She comes up like she's bored, so she finds something to do, which is reading these reports. And then ultimately that is a bad thing. That ends yeah. very badly for Colin Greenmantle.
0: <laughs> it absolutely does. Like his his insistence that they go play, I don't know what, the bucolic life. She's just bored. She doesn't want to be there. And she's letting him know, but also she's still going because You know, if she didn't want to be there, she really wouldn't. But she is bored and she's finding things to do. And yeah, it's going to be fairly catastrophic.
1: Yeah. And I love how her chapter starts with I'm very angry at you. Right. And then Blue's chapter starts with how she's very angry. And then Gansey's chapter also has that anger straight off the bat. It's just a really lovely angry section.
0: (laughs) They're all very unhappy. Um, And I thought that Blue's anger was mirrored in Kala's from the night before mm. when she was like you cannot come back with me i am not do not get in this car with me i will say something i will regret like her all of her worry and rage all of her suffering comes out as rage right mm. yeah like she can't yeah. just sit there and take it she's a firecracker she wants to go off
1: yeah and Cala's suffering as well because she's lost this friend and then this fear that she's lost the daughter now as well right like yeah, yeah. that suffering of not knowing the that- the unknown, especially when you're waiting for someone if you don't know where someone is, that is a terrible thing to suffer through. Especially yeah. a child.
0: The uncertainty of it, right? Because there's mm. it's just endurance, but there's no end. You don't know when you're going to stop and get that relief. You don't know if that suffering will end
1: or if it will always be a question. Interesting as well that the Green Mantle's entire point of being here is to inflict suffering on the grey man. He wants him to suffer, <laughs> right? He really does, and he's so
0: salty that he can't actually do it. He's like, here I am, and the thing I need is gone. I need this yeah. this psychic so that I can take her away from the grey man, and yet she's gone. They even filed a missing person report.
1: On pa- <laughs> yeah, so, on so page 172. He's like, how am I supposed to destroy what he needs when it's already gone? It's like so funny. But then I love also that he says on page 173, there's nothing like paperwork to make a man feel oppressed, which I feel is like (laughs) summing up corporate life in a single sentence.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. And it's even more insulting because you know that he's not reading it. Like, I'm sure that the gray man knows he's not reading it. Mm. Like, he's not stupid. And you just know this is the version of a TPS report that (laughs) Colin has enacted in order to make people feel terrible. He probably does the same thing with Latin homework, right? He assigns it, but never marks it.
1: Yeah, true. 100%. It's about control and making people suffer.
0: Yeah, because he likes having that. And I think suffering can be a tool, like inflicting suffering can be a tool of oppression for sure. And this is mm. something that Colin's really good at. And Piper as well, to an extent. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he seems surprised at the point where she's like, Well, I read all these reports and now I think we're going to go explore our cave because I bet we'll find these things that we want to find in these caves and he's like that fantastic line about you know she does do good things but like they usually aren't pointed at him and it was like he just didn't know she really liked him and i'm like she still doesn't like you actually like this is her (laughs) your interests are just aligning she's not doing this for you Mm. but i thought it was really funny that he's like so used to this sort of mutual antagonism between the two of them that He's really touched by the fact that it's not hurting him. She's <laughs> like, oh my gosh, these guys are so messed
1: up. Honestly. It's so funny. You know what also really stood out to me in this section is just mm. Noah's suffering. Like, being murdered, yeah. yes, suffering. Being dead, yes, suffering. But now also being possessed, right? And this horrible thing that he's going through, losing all sense of himself.
0: Yeah, and the way to get him back, the way to get him away from Blue's to make him suffer. And Blue's very ashamed of that, but... Mm. You know, she, she's ashamed of herself for being afraid, was a page 183. He didn't remove his hands from his eyes and blew with some shame, realized she was glad he didn't. Like, she doesn't want to be feeling that way, but she was also genuinely scared in that moment.
1: Yeah. And also on that page, like, he was making the most terrible wailing sound, more terrible because now it was beginning to sound like Noah again. Like, this yeah. idea that someone you love is suffering because of you, but what can you do?
0: Yeah. I'm so glad... I. Every time I read this book, I'm like more and more grateful for the character of Jesse Ditley, knowing about the curse and knowing these things that he does and also being able to mitigate some of the effects of it. Like he has to make his life there livable. And you see that you see that he's chosen to suffer with the Ditley curse rather than try and mm-hmm. live somewhere else and like to adam and to blue even this is inexplicable they're like why wouldn't he just move um which i thought was really interesting because for adam moving was a, a huge uproar and for blue it just feels inconceivable but then ronan is the one who's like out of his family home
1: like, yeah because so ronan fructant. gets that right yeah
0: yeah ronan's like if the barns were cursed i would live there like you could not Pry it away from me, and yet Blue's like, but if it's cursed, why wouldn't you just move? But I think Jesse, at least choosing that suffering, he sent his wife and kids away. He's bearing that alone, but he is bearing it.
1: Which I thought was suffering for them as well. This is like generational suffering for the Ditley family, yeah. knowing that there's a curse, but having to feed it, having to move away, and like being resigned to the fact that this is just what happens, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, to to make peace with that over time, to just accept that, mm. like, your daddy's bones will come out of that cave, and then someday it'll be your bones coming out of that cave. Like, that is a lot.
1: And I thought it also mirrored Blue's suffering, living with her own curse, right? And the carrying yeah. of Gansey's death as she has been living with it. Like, you know, Adam says he wondered how long she had been carrying this on page 195. Yeah. And that suffering that she's had since she's gotten to know Gansey, right?
0: Yeah and I just love the way that Adam was teasing that whole thing out because he immediately clues in that Blue's not saying Like he he has such a strong connection here to half-truths mm. at, at one point after he's figured it out he sort of says uh, Blue come out to the car I've got that you know that fabric and she's like oh I completely forgot and he, he's able to lie swiftly and proficiently that's the, the line he lies swiftly and proficiently um, and Blue's not able to like she's unable to keep this completely away from Adam who's so astute Um, And he insists on having his share of that suffering, which I thought was really interesting. And she tries to warn him. She says, you can't unknow this.
1: And he immediately jumps to like his vision that he had. Right. So he says, it's your fault. Mm. If it's your fault, Adam thought you can stop it. Like he's immediately in solutions mode. He's like, yes, this is great. We can use the favor to solve this, blah, blah, blah. But he is just so good at making connections. Like, honestly, he is just working through it so methodically in that bit. Mm.
0: It's really good how quick he is, but he's, he's angry in his indecision, right? Like he suffers without the knowledge he mm. needs to know. Cause he, and I think part of it's that he doesn't want to feel left out and he might even kind of be justifying to himself that he needs to have the information in order to like make the right request of Glendower when they find him and wake him up. But I think it's because he feels left out and he doesn't want to feel left out. Like none of them want to feel left out.
1: Yeah. He just needs to have all the information all the time. I think it's a safety thing for him. If he feels like mm-hmm. he, there's a part that he can't see then he feels vulnerable, and he can't have that.
0: Um, mm, for sure.
1: Let's talk about a kind of suffering that is your favourite kind, which is the yearning kind of suffering. Oh, the
0: yearning. Oh, this, this chapter was so yearnful.
1: Yeah. This
0: is one of my favourite scenes in this whole series, and this is probably why this book is my favourite, this particular night drive where she gets angry at the end, and they both just want to pretend that it could be possible. It just kills me. It kills me.
1: Yeah, I love that part on page 200 when she said she had thought it was such a simple thing to avoid kissing someone when she'd been with Adam. Mm. Her body had never known what to do. Now it knew. Her mouth didn't care that it was cursed. Like, it's so lovely and so loaded. And then just the suffering that comes through at the end, as you said, of this life that you dream about, but that you know is impossible. And I think Blue and Adam share this suffering and the way that they view Aglinby and the way life is easy for these boys, right?
0: And Blue has this double or triple whammy, I guess, right? Where she already knows they're all going to part ways. She already knows she's not going to live the life she'd been planning to live even before she met them. And she knows, even as she is closer and closer to Gansey, that he is going to die. Mm. So she gets no part in this future. And Orla at one point is like, I'm not going to stop you from calling him. I was trying to prevent you from breaking your heart, but go ahead and break it. And I don't think that that's necessarily like the right path to have taken or even the correct i don't think that it would have worked but i think orla's intentions were good but she just couldn't square that circle for blue blue was always going to follow her heart she was always going to be happier having loved and lost than never having loved at all to trot out an old cliche
1: yeah yeah
0: which begs the question like is suffering
1: worth it is suffering how we know that we've lived
0: (laughs) i mean is it I mean, some people suffer over really silly things to me, I think. I mean, you watch a show like Succession, for example, and they're all suffering constantly, but you're like, if you guys just like stopped being horrible people.
1: It's not their <laughs> fault that they're horrible people, it's the way that they've been manipulated their entire life by their father, who also has no time for them and thinks they're horrible people, but also acknowledges <laughs> that it's his own fault, and I think he hates that. I just i am fascinated by Succession. I just love how everyone is horrible. <laughs>
0: Everyone is horrible. I can't watch it. I can read meta about it. But it just strikes me as one of those shows where, like, it's just too awful to watch. I've seen a few episodes and I was like, oh, maybe not for me.
1: It's such great television, though. Like, it's the classic thing where you don't need to like a character. They're just very compelling. Like, if you're going to write horrible yeah. characters, they need to be compelling. And I find them very compelling. Also, this is a tangent, but I found out that a lot of it is ad libbed. They just make it up. Yeah, they're all very good. This is the thing. They're
0: all incredible actors. They're all incredible actors. This is a succession tangent because, you know, we're like every other podcast on air at the moment who can't stop talking about succession. (laughs) I don't even watch the show and I'm talking about it to loop back. I mean, there are a lot of people's sufferings and I'm like, well, just don't suffer. (laughs) Like sometimes as a problem solver, I'm like, why are you wallowing? And I find this, especially with my kids. I have to remind myself, like, they're kids and they don't have thirty eight years of resilience under their belts i have to be like oh right you're 11 and everything is literally terrible because it's happening to you for the first time okay back it up let's go through it what happened Mm. but in my adult brain i'm like but this does not matter you don't have to carry this you don't have to hold on to this like you don't even you don't even need to pay attention to this so not core
1: have you tried yoga
0: (laughs) (laughs) have you tried just putting your headphones in when annoying people start talking this works for me i
1: I still haven't learned that lesson I still (laughs) still haven't learned that lesson yeah Yeah. that's an interesting one I would say that I do think that we all suffer in different ways and we choose like not to victim blame but I do think we choose the crosses that we bear right
0: yeah yeah for sure in a lot of
1: ways we choose the level of suffering that we engage with often like suffering happens regardless of whether you want it or not you know circumstances outside of your control but I think on a minute level, we have these little sufferings every day. But I would yeah. argue that that those sufferings are what make life worth living. Because it's what makes you feel alive. I don't think you can appreciate the highs without the lows. Yeah, so you are broccoli has to exist in order for chocolate to taste good. Correct. Okay. Otherwise, what do I have to compare it to?
0: Yeah, I guess I don't... No, where I fall on that spectrum, I am a joy seeker. I'm the person who always wants to find joy in everything or optimism or or solve the problem. Like I find solving problems really compelling. So when people have problems, I'm like, yes, it is my time, even though sometimes they just want to tell me about their suffering.
1: Yeah, I guess I just think that joy always surprises me, I think, is the thing, because I sort of always it's not that I look for the negative or that I think life is terrible. I just think as a baseline, joy and happiness is not the goal. I think contentment is the goal and you can be content without feeling joyful or experiencing loads of happiness because that's just life. So when you have these pockets of amazingness, it's like so much richer and so much nicer. Hmm.
0: Maybe I try and turn a lot of my contentment into joy by paying attention to it. I think that's kind of where I fall on that. Whenever I'm having a good moment, I like marinate in it a bit. And that's been really helpful for me because I, otherwise I think I would be very, Stressed and anxious, and I certainly was before I figured out that I have to kind of learn to dwell on the good. But that was a lot of effort, I mean, and a lot of therapy. Like, let's be real, this is not a life skill that we're taught unless we have no incredibly supportive parents and carers. A lot of us have to be taught it later in life or come to it later.
1: I think it's just a journey as well, right? Like, we're always Mm -hmm. learning, we're always that's what we try to do with this. We're just always trying to learn and grow so
0: yeah, yeah agreed mm. I'm so glad we get to do this yeah what else do I have yeah so with with Blue and Gansey their suffering is based around the idea that they can never be together not just because of the curse but also because of Adam and Ronan and there's this moment after they pretend that they have kissed where they're like coming apart from a kiss that wasn't which is just visually and emotionally personally very devastating for me Um, On page 202, as she tugged the collar up to cover her mouth and nose, she let herself imagine that this place was rightfully hers, that somehow Adam and Ronan already knew and were already okay with it, that her lips carried no threat, that Gansey was not going to die and he wasn't going to leave for Yale or Princeton, that all that mattered was that he had given her his coat with its wheatgrass and mint on the collar. Stick a fork in me, I'm done. (laughs) It's like she is suffering, but she's still like letting herself have this moment of torturous pretense.
1: And longing. Torturous longing.
0: Oh, it's the best. I love the urns. I love the feels.
1: I thought there was a nice moment of connection in that section as well, between the Gansey we saw with Ronan and the Dream Thieves and this Gansey that picks up Blue. Like, this is Ronan's favourite Gansey that Blue is now yeah. saying, right? On page 198, she says, Something ferocious about his eyes, some sort of bite in his faint smile. Something altogether hectic and unsettled. She stood on the ledge of his smile and looked over the edge beautiful but that is the one that Ronan loves the most right that's the one that he thinks is the authentic Gansey
0: the truest Gansey
1: yeah and Blue's getting to see it in this moment
0: I like that she wants to join him in this chaotic flinging themselves around the corners of roads. like she wants to be in this chaos with him and I think that really speaks to Gansey's connection with just fundamental trustworthiness that Mm. even when he's chaotic and unknowable and a little bit wild he's still so solid that they can all rely on him hmm does that make sense i just like he feels like just the most reliable trustworthy person and i really see that play out again and again in the way that he cares for his friends yeah and there's an interesting parallel to that later when they actually go into this cave the diddly cave and Ronan is angry that chainsaw was possessed so he kicks in the tomb door and gansey is so furious about it (laughs) like he's so angry it is so funny because in that anger he's so disrespectful to Ronan. he says if you need me to leash you i will which is not very respectful but then he's like somebody was buried here and we will respect them and i'm like
1: what I wrote down in the margin for that was just, Dad will turn this car around, Ronan. <laughs> He's going to turn this car around. <laughs> um, Another connection I saw was in that cave, actually, just while we're talking mm. about it, because I think the connection between Adam and Caveswater has really set him up and helped him managed scary things in a lot of ways because he recognizes what's happening in the cave yeah. right like there's this moment where they don't really understand and there's this fear and there's uncertainty and he says on page 212 i vote we go on i think the frightening is a side effect not the intention which is exactly what yeah. cha- um Caveswater has been doing with him all along like these immensely scary things have been happening but it wasn't meant to scare him
0: yeah and you know he's he's working through that at the beginning of this book where he's like it only ever wanted him to understand mm. And if that isn't life, right, <laughs> sometimes I think about suffering in the way that we get symptoms, right? And you've, you've described your depression as being this like oppressive lack of color. And, and my anxiety is this thing that like traps me in my own head and in my own life. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like the symptoms are making us suffer maybe so that it's bad enough that we'll go and get help.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting if you think about Adam's journey with Cape's water as well, because on page 194, he said that all that was left to be asked was to be free of Cape's water, And he wasn't sure he wanted that. So he's yeah. gone on this journey where, like, you know, Adam, army of one, on his terms or not at all, is like, actually, maybe this Caveswater thing is something that I can manage and it's not as bad as I thought. Yeah, And I do think if it's just like learning to live with the, the hand that you were dealt and making that work for you in a lot of ways, which I think you could tie back to, like, depression or anxiety, right? The scary thing that sometimes just wants to be understood.
0: Sometimes it's as simple as moving a rock around. Mm. Sometimes it's as simple as taking a pill for the rest of your life every day. <laughs> I mean yeah it's it's about what you can do to alleviate the suffering to manage the symptoms of your suffering and make meaning out of it right? Yeah because Adam needs to be the one making meaning for the group. It's his now it's now his job to act as translator for caveswater when Ronan is too emotionally compromised by the loss of his bird to do so
1: oh ronan he's trying to help he's just helping kicking in the door he's being helpful leave ronan alone he's always getting blamed like adam is telling him off for singing he's not even singing he doesn't even argue he's just like sure i'll stop whatever you think i'm doing like whatever
0: i thought there was a lot of interesting maybe not suffering but definitely like something is going on with the vibes the vibes the day that they go into the cave are super off And I feel like I've experienced that or a similar thing so many times when you're really looking forward to something and, like, it's the day, it's here, and, like, it's all flat. Everything feels flat and awful and, like, you haven't slept and you're exhausted and you're just like, this is supposed to be a great day. Why do I feel so crappy and average? Mm. There's suffering in that, that you're supposed to be excited for things when they happen, but sometimes you're just tired. You can't help it.
1: Yeah, totally. Just
0: really unfun.
1: When the expectations don't live up to the reality of something, right? Especially when you've been waiting a very, very long time for it.
0: Um, I want to talk about a little interesting intersection between connection and suffering in the Jesse Ditley photo album because I really love this whole series because I also think family photo albums are going to be interesting and fun and like Blue. I'm always disappointed. So on page 185, (laughs) with a sigh, he fetched a big book of photographs, the Ditley family album. It was the kind of experience Blue always suspected would be charming and intriguing, an insightful and secret peek into another family's past. It was not that. And then she goes on to describe that it's just like fishing trips and birthdays and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, but in between stories of birthdays that went, as you'd imagine, and fishing trips that happened as fish tri- fishing trips do, another story appeared. A family living at the mouth of a cave where something slept so restlessly that appeared out through mirrors and through eyes and fuzz through speakers and sometimes made children tear wallpaper off the walls or wives rip out handfuls of their hair. And then the Ditleys have another couple of photos where they build a carport and it's just so beautifully mundane but it really does show that like even in the record of a normal workday existence there is this suffering that is like coming through in these photographs I mean can you imagine having like wallpaper being ripped off by children and wives with handfuls of their own hair in a family photo album this is dark
1: (laughs) and very dark very twisted
0: (laughs) I mean I guess if you're recording it for posterity but like holy moly just something about the record-keeping of their suffering really struck me they want to keep a connection to that so they know what they're living with
1: I'm wondering if it's not just like captured in the background though you know like there's a photo of kids playing or whatever and then you see take sections of the wallpaper in the background ripped off and then blue mm. asks him what's that about and he tells the story or like you see a photo of a mum with a child and she's like missing a lot of hair and so it's not the intentional yeah. capturing of the moment it's just the suffering being present in the everyday
0: yeah it's probably it it's Fascinating to picture.
1: Yeah, totally. Did you have anything else for suffering or connection?
0: Not really. I think we've covered it all. Uh, how about you? Did you have anything else for suffering, connection, or the intersection therein? in?
1: That's all my thoughts, but I did have a couple of tangential things.
0: Yeah, me too. Go ahead.
1: Firstly, cracks me up that gansy says, on page 191, Nothing I have ever drank here has made me experience anything close to euphoria. <laughs> Massive lol. Also, real moment of synergy for me on page 172 when he says he deeply suspected it was the physical manifestation of his bad mood. That's Green Mantle. Mm. We had a running joke at work where one of my friend's colleague, friend's um, partner would say things like, is that a physical manifestation of your breakdown? And so we would talk about that at work all the time when someone did something. <laughs> we're like, it's a physical manifestation of a breakdown. So I just really enjoyed that.
0: <laughs> I did have one bit of suffering i forgot to mention i'll just oh, pop yeah? it in here the end of mallory's suffering jesse ditley has real tea he has earl grey and darjeeling
1: bless him
0: i'm just so grateful that he does because mallory's quest for good tea feels like it's really important to him and the his suffering is over in this respect he has had good tea poor man we've done a team <laughs>
1: <laughs> i wonder which one he picked earl grey or darjeeling
0: darjeeling is the champagne of tea
1: some people love an Earl Grey, though. Always a fan of an Earl Grey. My friend at work, has extra strong Earl Grey every day.
0: Earl Grey is nice. I have to say, I'm really partial to T2's French Earl Grey, which is really lovely. Mm. It's just a little bit extra. It's just a little bit nicer, I think.
1: I love a Darjeeling. My mate Frank, friend of the pod, got me onto Darjeeling when we Aww. lived together.
0: Hi, Frank. <laughs> Your county is looking beautiful from all of Andrea's Instagram photos. I've been like, I want go to go
1: there. Gorgeous. Hey, I need to talk to you about something because I discovered this was a thing on Twitter. There was Twitter discourse about this ages and ages ago. But this reminded me, page 176, engaging the parking brake, we're not even on a hill, protested Noah. So apparently a lot of Americans do not use their parking brake. What the heck?
0: I've always used mine all of the time, but... I think my parents didn't use the parking brake in the car that was my car that I got. I don't remember them ever using it. And I remember them thinking I was weird for using it. But it was in the driver's manual.
1: Well, I was never given an option. We are taught to use the parking brake. When you park the car, you engage the parking brake. But apparently, they yeah. just don't do it there. And I was like, well, the Twitter discourse was quite something. In that way that we often fight with the Americans about <laughs> things like electric kettles, <laughs> etc.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you don't, okay, so you don't have to when you're in an automatic. And I do remember a friend of mine whose mom worked at Westmead. Maybe she still works at Westmead. Um, and she was saying that you're not supposed to put your parking brake on in the parking garage in case the doctors need to get out right. so that they yeah, can just they push, push your car out of the way.
1: And I believe there, there's this thing, I think it's in Paris and Rome maybe, where you don't, you're not supposed to put it on either when you park because people will just like nudge you out of the way to get into a parking space. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that would give me such anxiety. Oh my god. I'm goodness. pretty sure
1: my car won't let me turn it off if I don't have the parking brake on.
0: My car, you can it's optional, but if I want to take the parking brake off, it will do it automatically if my if I'm in gear and my seatbelt is buckled. Mm. it will automatically click off as soon as I put my foot on the accelerator. And it's 2019, so that's fairly recent. But I'm just in the yeah. habit of doing it.
1: When we were in Melbourne, we were driving my cousin's car, and if you didn't have your seatbelt on, the parking brake wouldn't disengage.
0: Right, okay.
1: Anyway, it's totally a tangential thing, but it just stood out to me because I remembered that there was discourse.
0: <laughs> yes, so I will say I do know some people who probably don't use their parking brake, but I always use mine, so I don't really think it's a thing. Mm. My car will beep at you also if you have your parking brake on and you haven't taken it off. It does let you disengage it, but it will also be like, hey, your parking brake's on. Hmm. Which is good, because my other car, the little one, does not beep at you. And so sometimes I have driven off and been like, why can't I go anywhere? Oh, the parking brake. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I have 100% done that. And my ye oldie car, pre-electronic car, I definitely drove around with the parking brake on once or twice.
0: I feel like this is a very Blue conversation because Blue is very anxious about all of the, like, symbols and things that are happening in the car. I love that she calls it the strange bacon symbol. Um, That's rear window defrost, right? That's what that is? Yeah, that's- it's
1: defroster. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I thought that was so funny. <laughs> strange bacon symbol? I was like, I'm pretty sure that's a defrost. Because I have a newer car and, like, I... My first car was from 1985, right? So it was a year younger than me. It didn't have all the bells and whistles. Like, the big thing about it was that it had power seats. Like, this was a big deal. And mine now doesn't, but it has like 85,000 different settings. And I use about 10 of them. So I don't know what any of the lights are either.
1: I don't go into the settings for my car. I don't care about those things. (laughs) Like, there's so many rando things that it can do. I'm like, I don't need this. I just need it to go when I tell it to go. Which is great. I just know how to do the sport mode and then that's all we need onwards (laughs) with our lives.
0: (laughs) Uh, We have the get down the muddy hill safely mode, which is very useful. Um, And we have, I think the best thing about my car is the adaptive cruise control, which like will come to a complete stop behind someone without you having to do anything. If you're in it, it's so good anyway yeah, I'm, car I'm with blue on that strange bacon sim- symbol she drove very slowly yes um, and i also love that noah was like gripping the door handle in a way that seemed redundant for the already dead like noah be a little bit more supportive my friend
1: that is my mother and my car just giving her a shout out
0: <laughs> she's got to hold the dash up otherwise it might fall off
1: the worst thing is when you drive with your mom and she's like stamping an imaginary brake I'm like what are you doing <laughs> I'm so insulted right now. I know I've never seen a corner that I slow down for, but I am insulted. <laughs> oh my goodness.
0: You must have found my driving so slow because I am like very careful.
1: Nah, I'm very unbothered by other people's driving. It really, I don't even notice, but I drive like a maniac.
0: Anyway, fun times. If I'm in their car with them, it's fine. If someone else is driving my car, I'm like, you're doing it wrong. I can feel <laughs> that it's wrong. Does that make sense? Because you, like, you're like, yeah. you used to your own car, but other people's car, it's like, whatever. Yeah. Do you have any other tangentials?
1: I did, but you know what? Too many. I just really wrote down too many things. Let's just crack get on.
0: <laughs> I wanna I wanna cover a few some things mm-hmm. that I thought were hilarious. Um Colin Green Mantle continues to be an absolute walnut. Uh, on page one seventy one, she stood beside the car wearing a dress that looked like it would take a wearying number of steps to remove. Like all of his assessments of Piper's clothes on are on how complicated they are to get off of her, which I think is hilarious. Because this is obviously their dynamic, and then on page one seventy three, she led him through the garage and through a door that he had been unaware existed, and up into the house itself. You idiot! You literally watched the gray man leave through this door two days ago.
1: Doesn't retain unuseful like <laughs> information, okay? So
0: annoying. No wonder Piper is reading these reports in the bath. I would too if I were married to this man. My goodness. Fair. Um, I love Blue and Ronan sniping at each other at three hundred Fox Way after she was missing. Um. Yeah where he says, I can't believe you aren't dead somewhere. You should be dead somewhere. And she just goes, thanks for your concern. And then later, you guys have a death wish, Ronan broken. That is dark. Am I on it? Some days I wish, Blue said.
1: I love Blue and Ronan BFFs. I have to say, like on page 179, when she says, I get along with snakes, I immediately thought of Ronan. I'm like, yes, you do. You're great. Also, an interesting read from Adam in that section, because he says, you know, it was a sign of Gansy's irritation over the situation. Mm. After that exchange, I'm like, what are you reading? Irritation. Irritation no. about caring? Fear? Yeah, I think he Adam is
0: seeing irritation. But that's because he's used to fielding anger, mm. right? Whereas we know from Blue's incredible observation of him that he was very, very worried about her. And I thought a lot about the way that that was described that he was like holding his temple and his cheekbone and staring off into nothing. And she could tell that he was like unwinding like a spring, Mm. an anxious spring. And I thought, Oh man, that feeling of like, I'm worried about you and you're coming home and you're home and you're safe. And then like, I love how Jesse Ditley rushes in to comfort him and says she was fine. And he said, my head knew that, but the rest of me didn't. And like, Oh Mm. my heart. Oh yeah. And I already mentioned the, uh, the bit where Gansey yells at Ronan in the cave, but I just love the line on page 214. I've done this for seven years, and this is the first time we'll have to leave a place looking worse because I've been there. Don't make me wish I'd come without you. He has a standard. I really appreciate that he really cares about doing the right thing, especially because, like, I'm not a big archaeology nerd, but I love I love history, and I love archaeology, and I love, like, the different ways of exploring the world that was. But there are definitely some shady periods of history where, you know, especially watching stuff the British stole where they just mm. literally went in and looted cities for funsies. I just I love that Gansy is really conscientious about the fact that he knows that he's treading on a past, on a history, and he wants to preserve as much as he can. He still wants to see it and explore it. But he doesn't want to invade and I just I really love that. Yeah. What did you think about the um the actual tomb itself?
1: Beautiful description, hey like just lovely the way that the colours are still described in these like muted colours as they would have been in the time, mm. you know.
0: Unfaded by the sun.
1: For some reason kept thinking of The Lost City where they try to take the, the slab off the tomb as well. Have you seen The Lost City with Channing Tatum and yeah. Sandra Bullock? Oh my gosh. Yes.
0: That is such a good movie. Uh, and
1: chaos Dan Rad, you know, peak chaos Dan Rad. Anyway, I just like cracked me up this idea of like pushing the slab off the tomb.
0: Yes. And not able to do it like nicely. Yeah. Now I want to watch that movie again. Maybe I'll watch that movie later. And it has the best joke ever. Where he's pushing her up a cliff with his head and he said, Sorry about the spiky haircut. <laughs> <Just> like- <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's what she's worried about, but thanks.
1: We love himbo Channing Tatum.
0: <laughs> Honestly, I can't find him attractive, but I think he's one of the funniest actors. He I has agree. impeccable comic timing. He's fantastic.
1: Hundred percent agree with you. Like not like I don't think he's hot, but he is funny. <laughs>
0: That's 90% of hotness, honestly, a good sense of humour and the willingness to send yourself up. Alright, well do you have an in-depth marginalia?
1: I sure do, so mine is on page 213, it's actually two sections in that bit. So this is when they have found the tomb, and as you've mentioned, the vibes are off. So page 213, it was supposed to be a clue, and then another clue, and then another clue. This was not how it worked. It was the looking, not the finding. And then page 215, he was not ready for it to be over. He was ready for it to be over. I think it just relates to our theme of suffering because the search is suffering. The search is also connection. Mm. That is the thing that holds it together. The finding marks an ending, which is also suffering because the end of something is like, painful like this is a thing that you've been building for so long too yeah and they're suffering in that but as you've mentioned as well like this idea that you've built up this moment in your head you had a vision of what it looks like and now the reality of it doesn't match up to what you think it should and they're suffering in that too it reminded me and again you've already mentioned this is why we do ultra marathons but it reminded me of the (laughs) spiral and foundation so tv sci-fi show based on isaac asimov's foundation series got stars lead pace Very slow, very beautiful. Highly recommend because Lee Pace. But in this one section, show. yeah, there's this bit where he, the Emperor, Empire, goes on this walk, which is like a quest through the desert, this ultra marathon walk through the desert. And the point is the journey, the suffering, which gets you to the end where you come into this cave and this pool where you're blessed with a sacred vision. And then you make meaning from it, right? Like, you're supposed to derive the meaning-making from it. Or you die happily in the process. But either way, the point is the journey. And in the show, spoiler, but Empire makes it to the end, but he receives no vision. And it's this argument that it's because he's a clone, right? And he lies about it. But regardless of whether he has the vision or not, he is fundamentally changed by the journey regardless. Like, he has undergone a thing, and it has changed the way he views the world. Yeah. It's also made me think this idea that you are waiting for something and it's the journey, not the destination, and then you're ready for it to be over, but you're also not ready for it to be over because I've had a really traumatic week. Those of you who listened last week will know that I tried to adopt a dog. It didn't work out. I returned Mm. the puppy on Friday. She went back to the shelter. And it was incredibly difficult because in my head, there has never been a moment where I would adopt a dog and not keep the dog. I love dogs. I have had a dog my entire life. I have considered myself a dog person my entire life. The reason I wanted to buy a house was that I so could finally have a dog. I've wanted a dog every minute that I've been in New Zealand. And then I had this dog in my house and it felt horrible. Like, I did Mm. not like it. There was not a single moment of joy in this experience. Everything about it was terrible. And it wasn't the dog's fault. She was lovely. She was sweet. She was very trainable. I think she'll make a great companion for someone. But there was this moment where I looked at her and I went, it's not that I want a dog, it's that I want my dog. Like, my dog Oreo passed away in 2021, just before I got to see her after COVID and stuff. She literally died two weeks before I finally got to Australia. And this realisation that I just really... She was the love of my life. I loved her deeply. She was the best dog ever. And this idea that I can never go back. I can never have that dog. And no other dog can ever take her place. And it's not that I'm trying to. But now I have to face the fact that... Do I even want a dog? This is a thing that's defined Mm. my personality for so long. And now I'm like, maybe I don't even want one. Maybe this is not who I am. When I looked at my life with a dog in it... There was not a single part of me that went, this is the life I want. It's not. I'm not interested. So it's just this weird thing where I think it's a cliche to say that it's the journey that matters, not the destination. But I think that's true. And going forward, I think we have to remember that it's the journey that makes us who we are. It's an Mm. ongoing thing. Every journey ends, though, and we have to make sure that we're prepared for that ending. Whether that means that we've realized something about ourselves or that there's a change that means that journey can no longer continue. You've got to be ready for it. So it's just something I think we should all keep in mind.
0: I'm so sorry that it didn't work out with your beautiful puppy, but I think it's the right thing to do if you're not 110% ready. And I have the same thing, right? Like I had a fantastic dog growing up that I still dream about sometimes. It's not that you can't let them go, but it's like you want that same connection, but it takes a lot of work to get that connection. And it's okay if you're not willing to put the work in right yet. And sometimes the dog is not the right dog and that's okay.
1: I think that is actually also the thing. It's like, It's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of work. And is it the right thing? Like, do you have it in you to give that effort and do that work? Yeah. And if the answer is no, then you owe that dog a better life. Because I could have kept her. I could have easily have kept her. But I would have been resentful. And that's not fair on her. And she deserves a home that's going to give her another dog because she has so much energy. And she would just love to have another puppy friend to play with. So at the end of the day, it was an incredibly difficult decision to make. But it's the right thing for her as well.
0: But I'm sorry that you had to go through that because it's hard and it's suffering that I don't want you to have to experience.
1: It's just a lot of crying. It's fine. We're fine. We're getting there. I spent all of Friday just with a ball of anxiety on my chest. You know, the kind where you can't breathe, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> did you have an in-depth marginalia this week? Yeah,
0: I did. I did. Um, so mine is on page 206. So the context is Blue and Gansy have just had an exhilarating late night slash early morning drive. They've gone up to the mountains. They've gone back to town. Blue has been driving the Camaro. Blue and Gansy were almost kissing. And then Henry Chang is broken down by the side of the road. And Gansy reverts to public persona Gansy in order to help him because he's polite and he helps people. But it just reminds Blue how different they are. And it's easier to get mad at him than it is to be angry at the fact that Gansy will die. So on page 206... Gansey studied her. She expected to see her anger mirrored on his face, but instead his expression had cleared. It wasn't happy exactly, but he no longer looked confused. He asked, when are you going to tell me what this is really about? This made her heave a great shuddered breath that was close to tears. Never. And I want to talk a little bit about how Gansey's able to connect Blue's anger with something else. And this was so wise of him because I feel like I didn't learn this until I was like yesterday years old. Mm. It just communicates that he cares really deeply for her deeply enough that he doesn't get caught up in her anger which is really easy to do when someone's angry at you it's really easy to get angry back but he walks right past it and he looks for the real cause of her suffering he doesn't force her to tell her secrets but he he asks he opens that door he creates a space for that dialogue to happen if she's ready he knows she's not really mad about henry or their class differences or anything else really but when she's not willing to tell him he lets it go he lets her bury it for a while I, just, I think that's just so wise of him, and his connection to Blue is just one of my favorite things. All of that aside, I just love Gansey for that. If nothing else, I love him for that. What it reminds me of is that I live with people who very rarely get mad about the thing they're mad about. It's always a surface-level irritant. This chair is too noisy, or I can't believe you asked me to take my plate to the dishwasher. Like These are the things that are ostensibly the problem, but actually it's that work was really stressful and someone's out sick or someone was mean at school and it happened last Thursday, but we haven't really processed it yet. My family are Polaroids and it takes a really long time for them to develop their feelings, to make those connections to why they're suffering. But as a result of that, I've had to learn to be less reactionary, less living in my own anger, which is a response that I grew up with. My parents were very hair trigger, very quick to anger. And I grew up thinking that that was how you expressed feelings was to be angry. But it's kind of forced me to sit back and be like, what's this about? So I was able to see a little bit of myself in that. Um, And I guess going forward, my best and hardest advice is to realize that when someone's mad at you, it's really often not about you. It feels Mm. like it is because it's directed at you. But sometimes people are just upset and it also isn't always your job to make that connection for them. But it might help you to keep your sanity to just remind yourself that like it's probably not actually me because <laughs> a lot of the time it's just that everybody is going through it yeah so yeah it's not actually about us a lot of the time
1: 100 it's such a great lesson and it took me way too long to learn as well that yeah when people are upset more most of the time it's got nothing to do with you and something that i actually do now when i'm like livid at work like i just get incandescent with rage and i'm talking to someone and i'm like i just need you to know that this has got nothing to do with you, but I'm incredibly angry right now. Like, I just need to yeah. preface it so that they don't think... It's because they've just asked me an inconsequential question from their point of view, but because I've got all this other rage bubbling away, I'll be like, look, I'm going to answer your question, but you need to know that I'm going to sound very angry and it's actually got nothing to do with you. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. oh,
0: okay. Pardon me while I rage quit the universe? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Who <laughs> um, would you like to spotlight this week?
1: I am spotlighting Adam this week because he's always three steps ahead, and I think as someone who often reaches a conclusion before other people are even on the same path, it is lonely and it can be very frustrating and it can be really hard to sit with that knowledge and wait for people to catch up. So I just wanted to spotlight him because I think that section where he just makes his connections is incredible. So, yeah. Yeah. Who would you like to spotlight?
0: I'm going to spotlight Gansey for loving Blue so much, for being scared that she's missing, for being able to check his own reactions to her anger, to see the hurt beneath it, to come and get her when she says, I'm not sleeping, come get me, like that. Yeah. I just find his patience and his care and his respectfulness and his gentleness just so lovely. We should all be a little bit like Gansey. Aww. Um. Do you have any homework for our listeners this week?
1: So two things. Uh, new season of Queer Eyes out i watched Yay. it yesterday when i was very sick and sniffly and also very sad and as always queer eyes there for me and my moments of sadness so that's great yeah. and secondly i'm reading a book called greek lessons by han kong mm-hmm. um it's for a new book club that i've joined and they're meeting on tuesday so i've got to hurry up and do it i'm not very far into it <laughs> but it is a very interesting rumination on language and meaning making it talks very specifically about Ooh. the way languages work and what that says about people and how people use that in life so yeah it's interesting how about you awesome. what do you have homework
0: uh yes I do I just bought ducks which is oh, uh, I love it, kate- so I've been a fan of kate beans forever and I just can't wait to read ducks so I haven't read it yet but it's my homework for this week and also uh, my daughter and I we're still on our voyager journey together we're in season four Four, and i thought let's check out star trek prodigy because it's a kids show mm. it is dark man but it's really good but it's dark so we're <laughs> gonna wait to watch it till we finish voyager because at least then it's like it's like five years after voyager and so it'll dovetail nicely nice yeah cool well next week we'll be reading chapters 28 through 32 through the theme of hospitality Woo it's gonna be something great. you're
1: great at because of that American <laughs> hospitality
0: I have big feelings on hospitality so I can't wait to get into it with you
1: awesome I'm looking forward to it so much happening all of the time in this book <laughs> I, know. I know I think that's why I like it so much it's like definitely the Act 2B book mm-hmm. it's all leading up yeah. to the
0: big finale which I'm just pretending we're not going to talk about because I have a lot of feelings about that too
1: <laughs> <laughs> alright well I'll catch you next week then
0: yeah, thank you so much for parting with me, Jen. I'm sorry you're not feeling well, and hopefully we'll be all healed up
1: for next week, yeah? Same for you. I hope you get rest and let your head cold leaves you alone. <laughs> Thanks.
0: I'll see you next see week. See ya.
1: Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginali Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com. Check out our Instagram or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities who love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you.